Well, good morning, Ozark family. We are so excited to be worshiping together online today. I wish that you all were here in this room, but I'm so excited that we get to still do this, even though you're spread out all over the country, maybe all over the world. I want you to know that we miss you. Our family really misses you. Our son, Pax, really misses coming to lunch on Tuesdays. We miss seeing you on campus. We miss having you in our home. We miss seeing you at Starbucks. Honestly, we just really miss Starbucks. But what is Starbucks without some Ozark students? So we very much miss you. We believe that God is continuing to do big things in and through you during this time. So we are so, so thankful for that. Well, I want to talk to you this morning. Um, Let me tell you about one of my very favorite TV shows. The show is called Lost. I am assuming that some of you, most of you students, have probably never seen this show. This is a show that wrapped up in 2010, so I'm assuming you weren't watching it as fourth graders, but I don't know. Maybe you were. Maybe you've gone back to watch it. I think some of you faculty and staff have probably watched it. In fact, I think I watched the series finale with some of you at John and Sarah Hill's house. It was a fun party. It was great. We loved it. Um, But this is an incredible show, and I'm going to give you a very brief synopsis of this very complicated show that I worked really hard um, to Google and find out because I couldn't do it myself. So this show is about a commercial plane crash that lands on a mysterious island in the South Pacific Ocean. There's lots of crazy things that happen on this island. There's a lot of supernatural. There's a lot of sci-fi, which I completely know that I am outing myself as a bit of a nerd by saying that I really like this show. But that's okay. I'll own it because Lost is a great show and I really love it. So it's an incredible show. You have a lot of time on your hands right now, so maybe you should go check it out. It's on Hulu. So my very favorite episode of the show Lost is in season four. It's an episode called The Constant. And what is happening in this episode is there is a man named Desmond who is on the island and he's trying to get off of the island like all of these characters are. And one of the ways he does that is he is on a boat in this episode, okay? And when he's on this boat, something really crazy starts to happen. He starts to basically time travel from present day on the boat to eight years in the past. And he'll spend a few minutes in the present and a few minutes in the past and he just keeps jumping back and forth and he can't, for the life of him, figure out why it's happening. There's this chaos, there's this confusion, there's this uncertainty, and he just has no clue how to make it stop. But he can feel in his body, in his mind, that this is not good, that he needs this to end. And so he talks to a man named Daniel, who's a scientist, and this man, Daniel, says, okay, when you jump back to eight years in the past, the next time you do that, I need you to come find me. I will be at Oxford University and I need you to come find me and talk to me and tell me what's happening. And so Desmond's like, you're crazy, but whatever, I'll do it. So the next time he jumps to the past, he goes to find Daniel and he introduces himself and he says what he is doing there. He explains what's happening, that he's jumping back and forth between the past and the present. And he knows that it is not good, that something bad is about to happen if he doesn't make it stop. And Daniel says to him, I know what's going on and I know what you need. All of these things in the equation, they're all variables. Everything that's happening is a variable, but every equation needs that anchor. It needs something that will not be moved, that will not be shifted, that will stay the same. You need a constant. Daniel says to Desmond, you need something that is the same in the past and in the present, something that you can cling to that will be your anchor, that is the same, that you're familiar with, that you care a lot about. He says, 
Desmond, you have to find that anchor. You have to find that constant. In the midst of this chaos, this confusion, this craziness of time travel, you have to find your constant. If you want to make it through this uncertain time, you must find that anchor. You must find that constant. We live in a world in desperate need of a constant. So what is that for this world? What is the thing that doesn't change? What establishment is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow? What organization is not shifted by the culture or by time or anything like that? What group of people is it that stays the same, that is a constant for its community? What is it when governments fail, when the culture fails, when when organizations or whatever it is seem to fall apart in the midst of chaos? What is the thing that is the constant, I believe it's the local church. But how does the local church become that? It doesn't become a constant for people or for communities by just simply existing. You can plant a church in any city, in any neighborhood, and expect people to come and to feel safe and welcome and and wonderful there, but it doesn't always happen like that. You can't just simply exist as the local church and know that people will trust you and rely on you in times of chaos. The church can establish itself as this in a lot of ways, but one of the biggest ways that we see is through service. We see the church reaching out, serving, being sacrificial, and because of that, people responding, people wanting to be a part of that and wanting to rely on that, especially in times of chaos. We serve as the church because it's what Jesus did, because Jesus served. We look in scripture at so many of the times that people flocked to Jesus and it was because he was teaching, he was preaching, he was doing all these things, but so many times it was because he was serving and they were drawn to that. The way people view the local church is the way they are going to view Jesus. So we want to get that right. We want to serve the way that he served because it matters. This morning, I want to walk through a passage in Acts. If you want to go ahead and get your Bibles out, maybe your phones, whatever whatever it is that you have with you, we are going to walk through Acts 3, the first 10 verses. And I will tell you, this passage is extremely important to me. It's extremely important to our church because this is a passage that we based basically all of our community impact ministry on. Anything we do from our foster care ministry to our um, work with human trafficking victims or work with international students or the local school districts or especially our benevolence ministry, so much of that is based on what we see here in Acts 3. So we're going to walk through that together this morning and see the ways that we as the local church are called to serve. And, and when I say the local church, I don't just mean people that are on staff at the local church or people that are heavily involved as volunteers in the local church. I mean everyone, all of us as a part of the local church, that's who I'm talking to. So whether you're on staff at a church or, or you're not, you're a part of a body, this is for you because we as the church are called to serve. Whatever role we are in, whatever capacity we're in, we are called to do that. Okay, so we're going to start in Acts 3 verse 1 here, and it says this. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, 
and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Okay, so what do we see happening here? We see Peter and John, they're good Jews, they're on the way to the temple to pray. And as they're going, they see a man who is carried there, a man who cannot walk, who's carried there every single day. This man makes his living. He is able to eat. He's able to do anything by begging for money. That's the only way that he can do anything. So Peter and John are on their way to the temple and they see him. My favorite, favorite words in a lot of scripture is found right here where it says, and Peter directed his gaze at him. Peter didn't just simply glance at him. Peter didn't avoid eye contact. How many times have we seen someone asking for money and thought, oh my goodness, if I don't look, then maybe the problem isn't really there. Maybe if I just avoid eye contact, this will all go away. Well, spoiler alert, it won't. Um, so he directs his gaze at him. This is such a beautiful act of dignity, of providing value to this man that he doesn't just, A, keep walking. He doesn't just walk past and glance and say, oh, sorry, I can't do anything. He directs his gaze. That is intentional. That is a very intentional thing that he does to see him. I believe that as the church, our service begins the exact same way that this passage does. We are called to serve with attentiveness. As a church, if we are not aware of what is going on in our communities, in our world, if we're not staying in tune with what the bad news stories are so that we can be the good news solutions to that, then we are severely missing out. And I'll be honest, for a long time, I thought, well, these things will just, be, just become known to me. They will just make themselves known to me. But the truth is, sometimes they don't. There are things going on. There are issues that people are struggling with that we will have no idea unless we direct our gaze at them, unless we are intentional with that. We have to ask ourselves as a church, are our eyes opened to the things that are happening in the world? Are we paying attention to the needs of our neighbors? Are we partnering? Are we asking local government agencies, local organizations, local partners, what is it that you're seeing? What are the people of our community going through that we as a church need to know about? And are we listening? Are we listening to our neighbors? Are we listening to our friends that when maybe they feel like they're just venting or they're just kind of telling something that's going on, are we intently listening to that to find out how can I step into that situation and give them the hope of Jesus? Are we doing those things? There is um, a church in Springfield that we have started working with recently, and we're actually working on replicating the program that they created because it's such an incredible ministry. And um, there's a woman at this church in Springfield that um, was a foster mom, and she was driving her, her child that's in foster care um, all the way across town to have a supervised visit with his biological mom once a week. And there was really no great place to do this, and so they met at the the mall in Springfield and she would it was in the winter so and she had a brand new baby a biological baby so she would pack up her baby and this child that she had in foster care and they would drive all the way across town to this mall for this little boy to get out and have a visit with his mom in a mall 
Bear in mind, this is the only two hours every week that this mother gets to be with her child, and they're spending it walking around the mall. She doesn't have money to buy him food. She doesn't have money to buy him clothes or games or anything, but this is the only place that at that time that they would be able to have this meeting. And after the visit, um, they said goodbye to the child's biological mom. They got him back in the car and she started driving home and she started driving past all of these churches um, who had their lights off, who were just closed for the night as they do. And she just started thinking. What really happened was she started to direct her gaze at the community, at this woman that she had this relationship with because this woman's biological son was now in her home being raised by her temporarily. And she started to really pay attention and say, what are the needs here? Is it okay that this woman only gets to see her son for two hours a week in a mall, that the only place that they get to really interact is in the food court? This little boy got in the car and he said to her, I just wanna watch a movie with my mom. I just wanna cuddle on a couch with her. If I only get two hours a week, I I just wanna feel safe. I don't wanna be in a mall, I wanna feel comfortable. And so this woman, after she had directed her gaze at her community and really saw what the needs were, she did something about it. She went to the state, she said, hey, is there a way that we could maybe allow churches to host these visits? We could have couches, we could have toys, we could play a movie, we could have snacks, all of these things that make those two hours feel a little bit more safe and a little bit more comfortable for those families. So that's exactly what the church did. They started hosting supervised visits. The supervisors were volunteers from their church that were able to take notes about those meetings, that were able to um, supervise those. They had volunteers there that were pouring into these biological families, that were advocating for them. It's an incredible ministry. So many people have come to know Jesus simply because they're hosting these supervised visits in their church. All of this happened because this woman decided that she wanted to take a step further. She wanted to look a little bit deeper into what the needs of her community were. And that, taking a look at that, being attentive to that, it opened up a whole new world of ministry that is having lasting kingdom impact. It's an incredible, incredible thing. All right, let's get back to Acts 3. Let's start, let's do verse 6 and 7 here. It says this, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Peter doesn't simply give him a few coins. Peter gives him something worth far more than money. Peter heals him. That in and of itself, the healing in and of itself is incredible. But if we take a deeper look and we start to ask ourselves, what what does that now mean for that man? It's a really incredible thing. Peter is able to heal him. And because he heals him, his life is forever changed physically and spiritually. What if Peter had only given him money? What if he had only given him a few coins and said, hey, I really want to feed you dinner tonight. So here you go. Here's some coins. You can buy yourself some dinner and you'll be good. And then Peter and John went on their way into the temple. That would have been great. He would have had dinner that night, which would have been awesome. 
but he would have been back in the same place tomorrow and every day after that. He would have had a very temporary, short-term impact on his life, but Peter and John took it a step further to have not just a lifetime impact physically, but a kingdom impact because of what they did. It, took, it takes wisdom for us as the church to know how to help people. We are called to serve with wisdom. In the service that we do to our community and our world, we have to use wisdom. We have to pray for the Spirit to give us that. We have to ask Him to give us that so that we can serve wisely. It's not only about good intentions when we serve our community. Good intentions don't go very far. It is not the thought that counts when it comes to service because we can do serious damage if we have that mindset. In our Right Here, Right Now ministry, that's our benevolence ministry, which is financial assistance for um, families in crisis, we see a lot of needs come in. We see a lot of things um, from, I need a utility bill paid, I need rent paid, I need a car payment, things like that. And I promise you that every one of those needs that come in, whatever it is, utility, rent, mortgage, whatever, that is just a symptom of the problem. Nobody's root problem is that they can't pay their bill. There's something else going on there. Maybe it's they were never taught to budget. Maybe it's that there was a family crisis that happened and they can't overcome that and they need some help financially. Maybe it's that they're making poor choices. Maybe it's that they were never taught to make good choices with their money. Whatever it is, it's only a symptom of the root problem. And we learned that, I learned that, because I made a lot of mistakes at the beginning of this ministry. I would hear somebody come in and say they needed help with their utility bill. And so I would say, okay, great. We're the church. We would love to pay that. And we would pay that. And they would be back the very next month. And I would ask them, why are you back? And they would say, well, because I'm in the same situation. I can't pay my bill. You paid it one month and now I need to pay it two months. And I started to realize that we have to use wisdom when we serve people because we have to look for the deeper issue here. There was a woman um, that came in right at the beginning when we started this ministry, and she was about 70 years old, and um, she, by the look of her budget, she could meet all of her bills. She could pay all the bills. It would be totally fine. Um, and so I didn't totally understand. I didn't know why she needed help, but she couldn't pay her bill. She said, I, I don't know how to do it. You know, it's not happening, and I'm in debt right now because I can't pay them. And um, so I just kind of brushed it off and thought, well, I don't, I don't know what your problem is, but you just need to pay your bills. And finally, she broke down and she said, I don't know how to pay my bills. My husband and my son were killed in a car accident last month, and my husband took care of everything. He took care of the budget. He paid all of the bills. He handled all of our income. I literally don't know how to write a check. I don't know how to do this. When I looked at this situation without wisdom, I thought, I don't really see what the problem is here. Maybe I could just you know, pay her bill and everything will be fine. But thankfully, the Spirit gave me wisdom in that moment to see, oh my goodness, this is a bigger issue. So I got to spend the next hour with this woman, teaching her how to budget, telling her how to pay her bills, teaching her how to write a check so that next month she wouldn't be in that same situation. It's things like this. It takes, it takes extra energy and it takes extra effort and time. But when we ask the Spirit for wisdom on how to serve, He gives it. And it makes the impact of those relationships and those encounters so much deeper. Okay, let's continue on. Let's do verses um, 8 through 10. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. 
And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Peter and John didn't want to simply just heal him. They wanted this man to experience the power of Jesus. We are called to serve with purpose. When we serve our community and we serve our world, it is not simply so that we can help someone in their current situation here on earth. It is so that we can introduce them to who Jesus is. As the church, we are not simply seeking to see earthly lives improved, but we want to see eternal lives begin. And we can see that happen when we serve with purpose. Do we want to give financial help to people that need it? Yes, absolutely we want to do that. But we also want them to know that there is a God who loves them and cares about their needs and provides for their needs. Do we want to rescue victims of trafficking and sexual exploitation? Yes, we do. We want them safe. We want them in good homes. We want them to survive in life but we also want them to know that the greatest freedom they can have is in Jesus. Do we want to help kids in foster care? Do we want to help their biological families? Do we want to love them and reunite them? Yes, yes, we want to do that. But more importantly than that, we want them to know that there is a perfect father in heaven who loves them dearly, who has created them and who cares for them and who wants to walk them out of this trauma into a beautiful life together. I love verses nine and 10 here. It says, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. When we serve with attentiveness, when we serve with wisdom and when we serve with purpose, the gospel spread like, spreads like wildfire because people take notice. People hear the stories, people see what happens and people's lives are changed. Not just the people that we're directly serving and in relationship but with the other people they hear about it, they see it, and their lives are changed too because they get to experience who Jesus is through those encounters as well. We are in a crazy season of life. Coronavirus, COVID-19, it is wreaking havoc on our communities, on our families, on our world. It is chaos, it is confusion, it is uncertain times if I have ever seen them. I have heard so many people say lately that this right now is the church's finest hour and I could not agree more. I believe that this time is a time for the church to shine, but why does it have to stop at an hour? I am praying that this is not just our finest hour that ends when this crisis ends. I pray that this is an awakening, that this is a catalyst for the local church to rise up and to be who they are in the future that they are right now because we are seeing the church do beautiful, incredible things. And I don't want that to end when this crisis ends. I wanna ask you to do something right now. 
I would love for you to take out a pen and paper or maybe make a note on your phone or your iPad or whatever that is. And I want you to just take some time to write down some words that you think explain or identify, describe what the church is right now. What characteristics do you see the church portraying right now in this crisis? Maybe you think that the church is innovative. We have seen churches in a matter of days go from an only in-person worship service to only online in a matter of days. That's incredibly innovative. That is a great service to their people in their community. Maybe you see the church be compassionate. Maybe you see the church taking up donations, whether financial or, or goods or whatever it is, to help families in our community who are out of work, who are losing hours, who are sick, things like that. Take a few minutes, just a little bit of time, to write down some words that you think identify what the church is right now. Take just a minute to do that, and then I'll wrap up. I want you to take these words and I want you to remember them. I want you to pull them back out. When this crisis has come to a close, when life goes back to normal, whatever that's going to be, I want you to remember these words. Let us, the church, be that church. If this is our finest hour, then let's not let this hour end. Let's be this from now until Jesus comes back because don't we always want to serve with our best? Don't we always want to be that for the kingdom? I can tell you that this, this crisis right now that we're in, yes, it is affecting so many people. It is, it is causing heartbreak for so many people. And I don't want to belittle that or diminish that at all, but I do need to tell you that there is heartbreak in our world all the time. Two months ago, I sat with a family just a little bit after their home had burned down. And unfortunately, it wasn't just their home that they lost. It was their six-year-old and their eight-year-old daughter that they lost in the fire too. It was these two little girls that, that they couldn't get to. And so one night, I sat in our church building right after the fire had happened, and I talked to these little girl's mom, and I talked to their dad, and I talked to their grandma, and I talked to their 11-year-old sister who tried to get to them. And I can tell you that the heartbreak that I witnessed in that moment and the heartbreak that I see in their eyes every time I have seen them since then it's unimaginable. It's the worst thing I can ever imagine happening to my family. And that is their reality now. They are moving forward in life without their sweet girls. I talked to the girls' teachers and the heartbreak that they feel of having to explain to a classroom full of kindergartners what happened to their sweet friend. It's unreal. A couple weeks ago, I sat in my office with a woman who, after 26 years of marriage, was leaving her husband because that entire time, he had physically and emotionally abused her constantly. She was broken. She was wrecked 
because of it, and rightly so, because the man that she loved and trusted did horrible, horrible things to her. Just in the last few weeks, we have seen issues of human trafficking in this community that would just just rip your heart apart. Women found in the woods, women found behind dumpsters after they had been raped and beaten here in Joplin. Guys, these stories have nothing to do with COVID-19 because this is the state of our world. This is what our culture is. This is what people in our communities and our churches are facing. That is why we are being called to serve in incredible ways, to serve with attentiveness, to know what's going on, to serve with wisdom, to help in incredible ways, not just what we, think, what we see on the surface that needs done, and to serve with purpose so that these people will come to experience full healing in Jesus. So as we move out of this crisis, it is my prayer that we would serve in all of those ways, that we would love people with intentionality, that the church would rise up and serve, yes, in incredible ways in this crisis, but continue to serve even more so in the days, in the weeks, in the years to come, because we live in a world in desperate need of a constant. And Jesus has established his church to be that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your church. Father, we thank you that you have designed your people to come together in this way so that we can worship you, so that we can have community with others, and so that we can serve a broken world. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are our constant. We thank you for the gift of your son who is our constant. And we pray that we as a church would move forward in grace and in love so that we may become that for our community, so that we can point them to you, so that we can allow them to experience you in the way that we have. Father, we ask these things in your son's name. Amen.